this morning, I'd like for us to consider uh, the life of Saul of Tarsus. Now, I'm going to talk to, him, talk to you about him from the book of Acts. So, how many of you have heard of this man called Saul of Tarsus from the book of Acts? How many of you have heard of him? Mm, well, okay, it's about 50% of you. So, I'll tell you the story. The rest of you need to hear and learn the story. So, just, just to know, otherwise, you don't, no need to repeat the whole story, but I guess some would need a little refreshing of what this story is about. So, who's this guy called Saul, Saul of Tarsus, which we're going to read a little bit from the book of Acts. Well, Saul of Tarsus is this man who wrote quite a book, quite a few books of the New Testament. Uh, 13 of the 27 books in the Bible, you have a New Testament and an Old Testament, and the New Testament has got 27 books. Of the 27, this guy has written 13 of those books. He's planted many churches in his lifetime. He's discipled many, many guys all over the place. He preached thousands of times in different places to different people. And uh, once when he was preaching, he preached so long that some guy fell asleep. Well, that's all right if he falls asleep. But he fell down and died this time. And then Saul goes up to him and kind of prays for him and revives him back. So I hope none of you fall asleep. Surely if nobody die here, please. All right, so he preached and he was constantly. So he, was, he traveled around different places gave up his kind of comfortable surroundings, family, and traveled in different, different places. He preached, and as he preached, and as he traveled, he was constantly in danger. He suffered in so many ways, many ways, and you can count. When he went to some places, he was flogged and whipped. In some places, he was stoned. As he traveled some places, he starved, and he had no food to eat. In some places, as he traveled, he was kind of shipwrecked and on the seas for days. He came near death many, many times. He was bitten by a snake and then kind of shredded it off. He was harassed by a thorn in his side. Harassed by a thorn in his side. Some say perhaps it might be an illness. Some people say it's a kind of a person. Nobody knows what this thorn in his side was. But he had this thing that constantly troubled him. And when he asked the Lord to take it away, the Lord only said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so he's been through different kind of problems. But... In all that time, he prayed for many people. Many people got healed. Many demons were cast out. Many churches were started. Many people were strengthened and encouraged. Many people got exactly words of strength from him as he shared and encouraged people all over the place. In the end of his life, he was in prison, and as he was in prison, he kept preaching and encouraging people. Theologians say that he was finally beheaded by Romans. Now, my question as we begin to look at this Saul of Tarsus is, what made him live this kind of a life? Well, radical. What, to be stoned, to be whipped, to be flogged, to leave comfort, to leave family, to leave friends, to travel around, to face danger over and over again, one place to another place, fearless? What kind of made him be like that? What kind of made him kind of pray for the sick and cast out demons? What kind of, what, what made him like that. Even in prison, being a prisoner, he was free. He was free preaching, sharing, teaching constantly. What kind of made him do such amazing service for the Lord? Uh, I want us to ask us, you need to know what made him do that so that you and me can be like that. Perhaps we need to be ones that are serving him wherever. We're all called to serve God. And I'm so blessed to hear that about 120 of you out of 200 and odd people 
are actively serving in some way, and if the rest of you are not, find out how you can be and get in and start serving God in some way or the other. But as you begin to serve God, there are challenges and there are qualifications as it is. Um, I was with a family in Medway Church before the conference, and I was chatting with uh, uh, one of the girls. There are three girls, and uh, the youngest girl was Hannah, and um, she was studying for, to be a dentist. And she was saying, she just started, I think a couple of uh, um, seminars are over, or a couple of months are over, and she was saying, I think, how did you get into the college? What did you have to do? Because my two girls are in their college thing. What did you have to do? How did you study? She said, uh, my teeth were all funny. And uh, when, I when I went to the dentist, the dentist kind of straightened my teeth. And I found such a good effect. I said, I want to be a dentist. And then she found out to get into any of the dentist schools or colleges, you had to have three A's and a B. Uh, and now she says it's become even more stricter. You've got to have four A's, uh, four A pluses or something like that. So she said she studied really hard and worked hard right through, didn't go here, didn't go there, neglect, didn't allow this, didn't allow that, lots of temptations, lots of difficulties, but she studied hard and got her three A's and a B. She went and gave her application to one college, they looked at her, interviewed her, talked to her, rejected her, went to another college, rejected her, she came back so disappointed, what's the point, I studied so hard, I worked so hard, I gave this up, I gave that up, and the, the parents encouraged her and said, don't give up, trust the Lord. College number four finally accepted her. Uh, and I'm thinking, to get into college, even to study, you require some qualifications. To get into any company, to do anything, you require some qualifications. And I believe that to serve God, there are some qualifications that need to happen. To do something significant for God, you need something to happen to you. And let's find out from Saul's life, what kind of happened to him? What significant thing happened to him that made him such an effective person? And can you and me do that? Can you and me have that? Can we, you and me follow that? Is there some way of doing that? What's the first thing? Let's see, the first thing. The first thing, I believe, is the Lord meets with Saul. Let's read. Can we read Acts in chapter 1, Acts in chapter, sorry, chapter 9, and verse 1 to 9. But Saul, I'm reading from the ESV version. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, just let's stop for a minute there. I'd like us to pray, and then as we continue on. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the freedom to worship in so many different languages. Thank you for different ways of worshiping you. You watch our hearts and you receive our worship. We thank you that you call us special this morning, oh God. We thank you so much. What would our lives be if we, know, if we did not know you, Lord? We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us as we seek to meditate on your word. Would you speak to us? Would you stir us? Would you challenge us? Would you remind us to love you, to live for you, to honor you, to know that it's all about you, Lord? Holy Spirit, we need you. Bless us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I continue reading on, I just want to say, Saul, this is, who's this guy Saul? Saul is this fellow that was uh, a Pharisee. He studied under a very special and a very famous teacher of that time called Gamaliel. He was a passionate man. He believed 
in what he studied and what he lived for. Around that time, people were of the way, something called the way, or people who believed in Jesus. People who believed in Jesus saying, Jesus is alive. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. And Paul is saying, no, he's not alive. He's dead. I saw him crucified. I saw him in a tomb. And I've never seen anything more after that. But these other guys are saying, no, Jesus is alive. If you ask him for forgiveness, he can change your life. He's alive. He's alive. And Paul is mad at that. He's got one thing in his mind. I'm going to kill every one of these guys. I'm going to put them all in prison. I'm going to snuff this out. This is wrong. This is wrong. He was completely and totally convinced of his view and his opinion. His opinion and view was, there is no Jesus. There is no Jesus. He's not alive. He's dead. And he was out about doing that. He got, the next, uh, the verse out here says, he got letters from the synagogue at Damascus to go and kill those people there. Or go and put those people in prison. So out there, here he is. His heart is full of anger. His heart is full of uh, clearly thinking of how I'm going to do what I've got to do out there in Damascus. Now verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Here is this guy. He's on his horse. He's clear. He's got a group of guys around him. He's thinking of nothing else, of how to find these people who believe in Jesus, how to find them, which house should I start. He's got the kind of layout of Damascus, and he says, perhaps I'll go here, I'll send those guys there. That is what he's thinking. He's not thinking anything else other than, how do I get? He's passionately doing something. And suddenly, in the middle of his, his pressing, or his thinking, or his passion, suddenly there's a flash of light, and he's thrown off his horse, and he's down on the ground. He's down on the ground and he tries to open his eyes and he says, he can't see anything. And suddenly he hears this booming voice. Saul! Saul! Why are you persecuting me? And he looks around and he sees the other guys also hear the sound, but they can't see who's this calling. And Saul says, who who are you? And the voice says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And he has this amazing encounter and this meeting with Jesus. He's on the ground. He's blind. And Jesus says to him, get up, go into the city. I've got something to show you and tell you. So he gets up. He's completely blind. He's led by the hand. He goes into the city and waits. Now I think the first thing that Paul had was his encounter with Jesus. This meeting with Jesus. I find it strange that Paul was not necessarily looking for Jesus. He seemed to be quite confident in what he had. He's confident in what he had and what he knew. And I think that's the kind of environment we live in. We live in an environment where people around us are confidently sure of what they believe in. They don't need Jesus. They don't need him at all. They don't need him for their life. Money is enough. And having, uh, just living for their pleasures and for themselves is enough. They know the answer and they're living for their answer. And I believe God says that I love them. They're not looking for me. But I'm looking for them. And perhaps you're sitting here 
and you've come with a friend or you've been around for a long time, you like the atmosphere, perhaps you like the music, perhaps you like the friendliness, perhaps you like something and you're here, but you don't know what's happening around. I believe God would want to meet with you like he met with Saul. He met with Saul in a powerful way. Now, don't go away from here. He loves you. He wants you. He needs to meet with you. Now, that's the thing, that's the first thing that can help us to do big things for God, knowing and meeting with Jesus. There's nothing else. You can't have theology. You study a lot. You know a lot. You understand the Bible a lot will not help you. You need to meet with Jesus. You feel nice is not good enough. You need to meet with Jesus. If you and me are going to do anything for God, it's a meeting with Jesus that counts the most. You talk about Abraham. Abraham was living his life, kind of happy. And suddenly God says, Abraham, leave your father, leave your mother, leave your familiar surroundings, and go to a land. Now, who's this? Who, who is this? It doesn't say about Abraham that he knew anything about God. And suddenly God comes and speaks to him. You talk about Moses. Moses in the desert. He kind of left everything. Out in the, Moses, uh, out in the desert for wilderness for 40 years. And all he had for company was sheep. He had a bar, there a bar, 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 bar everywhere. And all that he could hear was bar, bar. And perhaps, what is it about? And suddenly he sees in the mountains a fire. Goes up to the fire. And God comes to him and says, Moses, the ground where you're standing is holy. And he meets with God. We look at the, look at the New Testament. Peter stands up and preaches. 3,000 people gather in a city. They're just all around. They're not here for any particular reason. Perhaps they're shopping. Perhaps they're just visiting people. But they're all around. And Peter suddenly stands up out there. 3,000 people around. And he's booming and talking about Jesus. And suddenly it says that they were cut to the heart. And they say to Peter, what must we do to be saved? They're cut to the heart. That's what must happen. That's what must happen. If we're going to do something for God. It's not good enough to just attend church and come and go. God wants called us for purposes and plans to change things all around us. But you need to meet with him. My own story, uh, my own story of meeting with God, uh, I was not interested in God. I didn't need, I didn't need God. <laughs> I didn't need God. Does nobody need God? But as a young guy, you'd think you don't need God. Um, I was happy. I, was, uh, I have three older sisters and a younger brother. We all lived happily in a one-bedroom flat in Mumbai. Uh, and uh, we were very happy. Everybody was happy with me. I thought I was a nice guy. Everybody outside my house loved me a lot and valued and respected me a lot, except for my own house, except for my brothers and my sisters, who, uh, who they thought I was their enemy. And, they were, and because of my lifestyle and attitude and behavior, they hated me. Uh, and then I went to this meeting. There's this kind of a, we come from a Catholic, charismatic back, uh, Catholic background. My mom used to force us to go to church, and she would say, if you don't go to church, no food for you. And so we would, uh, you've got to go, you have to go. And, and her concern was, if you don't go to church, you're going to die and go to hell. So well, we, we, we would get up, we were small like these little children here, and uh, they would get up, wake us up, mom would wake us up early in the morning, and we'd go for the 6 o'clock mass, it used to be called. In, in those days, it's still called mass. And so 6 o'clock in the morning, five of us groggy kind of thing, all of us sitting in a row there. 
and then suddenly mom would say to my elder sister, come on, get up. So we'd get up, get up, get up. Okay, everybody stand up. Then everybody, okay, okay, sit down. Everybody sits down, almost goes to sleep. And again, get up, get up. So everybody gets up. So we get up and sit down, get up and say, amen, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. And, you, and that, that, was, that was God and, and religion for us. My mom used to say, if you don't go to church every, every Sunday, you're not going get to get food. And I tried to get out of it, couldn't get out of it, until I became 16 or 17. And then I began to go to church, not once, but about three or four times. Because I found church was very interesting. It had, I never went for God. I never went for anything that was happening in there. But the girls were very beautiful there. <laughs> so I didn't go once. Mom was very pleased with me. Oh, you're going three times. God bless you and whatnot. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, that was how I was. And then I went to this meeting that my mom was begin, had begun to attend. And I was remember standing at the back. There was all these people saying hallelujahs and clapping their hands and shouting. And, and I said, what is going on here? This is all rubbish. There's a band out there. Somebody was playing. Somebody was singing. I said, this is really strange. This is not, this is not anything of, of Christianity that I would know of. Christianity, in my mind, must be quiet. You should hear a pin drop. And you should feel quiet. When you enter the room, it should be quiet. What is this noise? What is this loud speaking? Now I remember standing at the back there, uh, quite, quite, uh, I, I'm not part of this rubbish here. I'm, as far back as I could, I'm just come to get my mom, and my mom is sitting right in the front, and I'm there, I'm 19 years old, and I suddenly begin to cry. I'm crying, my mind is not wanting to cry, but I'm crying, my body, there's no pain here, I'm crying. I can't figure this out. Nobody's looking at me. Nobody cares that I'm there behind or not. And I'm crying. And I'm, I, I'm, the thing that I'm thinking is, I don't want to be part of this. This is rubbish going on here. That's what I'm thinking. But I'm crying. So I take out my handkerchief and start kind of wipe my tears to stop the, try, stop the crying. And instead of stopping, it goes deeper. And until I go, ah, 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 what is that? I couldn't figure this out. Anyway, I had to calm down. And before, as soon as possible, I caught my mom and kind of ran away from there. I said, never want to get back there. I don't know what's happening. A couple of weeks later, I was reading a newspaper article. It was the Times of India newspaper. And uh, I began to read. Uh, it was about somebody gave an explanation of how Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was seeming to be kind of a, a technical explanation, a historic explanation. And they said, uh, uh, one of the things I remember saying, them saying is that the nails uh, on the cross were not put in the middle of Jesus' palms, but really put in the wrists. Like all the pictures I had ever seen and all the statues I had ever seen, were, the nails were out here and not here. But they said, no, it can't be here because if the weight of the body of somebody on the cross was fully on the nails, it kind of would have ripped out and come out. But it was not there, it was between the two wrist bones in such a way that the ligaments at the side, which are stronger, would have been able to hold up the whole body weight. Along with that, the whips, when they were, the whips that were being used were not just ordinary little pieces of string, but they were, had leather with pieces of bone attached to it so that the, uh, the flesh was ripped out. Thorns were this big and so much, and, they used to push, and the nails were pushed in this way, and the thorns were pushed into, the, into, the, uh, into a crown and pushed into the head of Jesus. And lots of details like that, which really moved my heart. I said, wow, what a way for somebody to die. And at the end, almost in a sarcastic way, uh, Jesus Christ supposed to have died for sinners like this. That kind of moved me strangely. 
It was sarcastic in the way it was presented, but it moved me. Jesus Christ died for sinners like this. I didn't think I was a sinner, but I said, the way Jesus died, surely I must be a sinner. So I went to the most private place in our house, which is our toilet. <laughs> and uh, I said, Lord Jesus, if, if you died like that for me, please forgive me of my sin. Nothing happened. I just, I just felt that, uh, and I went out again. The effect of that, really, I saw two weeks later. I was down in the corner with a group of my friends telling dirty jokes as normal. Uh, I enjoy telling dirty jokes. I would hear a dirty joke, add a little more dirtiness to it, more vulgarity to it, and tell it. And they loved it. So they would wait for me. Oh, Sydney's come. Hey, Sydney, tell us the same joke that they heard last week that they knew it would be different this week. So uh, I, was, I remember, so I began to launch into this joke. And as I began to share the joke, I suddenly felt, you know, you never, you never speak bad words or dirty jokes around your mom and dad or your parents. You never do that. I suddenly felt, hmm, is dad or mom around here? Suddenly I felt that. I said, you know, I stopped. No, they're not around. So I continued on to the joke. And suddenly I felt, something is wrong. I, I shouldn't be saying this joke. And the way I'm saying this joke is not pleasing to something. But mom and dad and nobody is around, and I just sense this. I tried to continue, continue, continue on with the joke. I just couldn't. So I said to the guys, hey, I can't. I can't continue on with the joke. So some of the other guys says, okay, okay, I'll, tell, I'll continue on with the joke after trying to convince me. But I, I couldn't even seem to listen to the joke. So I left those guys and walked away. And that began a journey of recognizing God's voice, God's presence, God's nearness. Uh, I'm telling you this testimony. I'm telling you my life. I've told it umpteen times. And I guess I'm like Paul a bit. He's told his testimony in the, in the Bible, in the Acts, in the book of Acts, his testimony is recorded three times. Three times Paul shares his testimony. I was on the horse. I was on my way to Damascus. I was looking for Christians to find and kill. I was ro ro ni nicely, quite calmly, and suddenly the light came. I was on the ground. I'm blind. And here I am now following Jesus. He said that same thing three times. And I think there's a value in the testimony. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, you must know Jesus. And if you are here and you already know Jesus, I would say value this testimony that God has saved you. Value this fact, this truth that Jesus Christ has saved you. Perhaps you're not well. Perhaps your, your job's not working out. Perhaps your relationship is not working out. Perhaps you don't know what's happening in the future. But what I want to say this morning, would you value the fact that you are saved and Jesus has got his hand on you? You may, have not been look, you may not have been looking for him, but he looked for you. He found you. If you are sitting here, it's because he has found you, and he's called you, and he's doing something with your life. Value that, my friends. Value that. Consider it precious. Share it wherever you can. Write it down if you can. Give it to others wherever you can. God has met with you. It's the most precious thing in all of your life. And every time I had to make kind of decisions, what is more precious? Is following the way of the world, robbing a little, cheating a little, having some lustful thoughts and getting into pornography a little, is that all right? Or is that more valuable than Jesus? And I say to you, nothing is more valuable than the presence of Jesus. Everything is worthless compared to knowing him and enjoying his presence. And if you have tasted I'm now walking with the Lord for about 25 to 30 years. And I feel I've only tasted of his presence and power and fellowship.
And I've got more to go. And if you are new and you're just about starting to taste his presence and his fellowship, I want to say to you, it's wonderful. Don't stop. Choose him in whatever you're going for and enjoy his presence. Value your testimony. Share your salvation. Share your story wherever you go. If you and me are going to serve if you're going to me are going to serve God, you will need to have this encounter. You'll need to know Jesus. You'll need to meet with him in a powerful way. All right, what else? The second thing, God calls Saul to carry his name. God calls Saul to carry his name. Let's read Acts chapter 9, verse 10 to 18. Okay? Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias! And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on his name. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. All right. Here we see Ananias. Ananias is somewhere. Uh, Saul is somewhere. Saul is praying and fasting and doesn't eat or drink anything. And God says to Saul, Saul, I'm going to send you a man called Ananias who's going to lay hands on you and tell you some things. And so Saul's waiting. And I think this man, Ananias, comes to Saul perhaps in the night. It doesn't say anywhere in the night. But I think it's in the night perhaps because he's, I think he's frightened. He's saying to God, God, you're saying, tell me to go to this Paul, this Saul. But Saul's the guy who's been sent to kill people like me, to find people like me. So I'm not going there. But God says, no, I've got this message I want you to give him. So he goes, perhaps frightened, perhaps unsure, knocks at the door. Saul welcomes him, lays hands on Saul. And the scales fall from his eyes. And he can immediately see again. And he says to Saul, Saul, I want you to carry my name to the Gentiles and the ends of the earth. I want you to carry my name. Now that is a, is a call from God. Saul suddenly met with Jesus and now he hears, I want you to carry my name. He suddenly gets a message. He suddenly gets a call to say, this is your purpose, Saul. This is the reason you're supposed to live. This is why you're living. I want you to carry my name. I want you to take my name to the ends of the earth. The Gentiles, your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, wherever you are, that's the purpose of your life. Now, I wonder if that, that purpose have we understood. We want to say, we often say, I heard God and I want to hear this audible voice of God. And when you look at this story, you hear a man called Ananias. You don't hear this man or see this man Ananias again in the book of Acts or anywhere else. He's come, he speaks to Saul, and he's gone. And Saul would say, I am Saul. I heard this booming voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why are you? I heard Jesus. I heard Jesus speak to me. Now I want Jesus to speak to me every area of my life, in every way. I want him to say, Saul, stop going there. But Saul, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus sends an Ananias. And Ananias might be frightened and nervous and worried and, and troubled. And Ananias perhaps would say, can I pray for you? 
And yeah, yeah, pray for me. And can I say something to you? Yeah, can you say to me? Perhaps. And he says, this is what God says. I want you to carry my name. And I believe God would say to us that he's called you, but he will send anyone to speak to you. Will you be ready and listen to what God is saying? Perhaps you're saying, I want to hear that God, voice of God. He spoke to me like this then, and this is the way he's going to speak to me all my life. But maybe not. God may speak to you through another man, through the preaching, through your leaders, through one another, wherever. God may speak to you. And will you go? Will you do what God wants you to do? Don't wait for this big thing that I, want, I heard God like that. That's the only way he's going to speak to me. No, he's going to speak in whatever way he is. But the word to you now is he's calling you to carry his name. Do you understand that? Do you know that? Do you feel that? Do you realize that? I don't think so. All of us, we think, oh, I'm really living for me. I want my life to be a bit more comfortable. I want my life to be a bit more happy. I want a bit of pleasure in my life. And that's not the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life and my life is to carry the name of Jesus. Can you say with me, carry the name of Jesus? Well, oh, you're not so convinced about it. Can you say with me, carry the name of Jesus? Okay, that is yours and my purpose in life. Perhaps God would say to you today, you're wondering, what am I here about? I'm a young guy, I'm clever, uh, I do whatever. But what's it about? It's about God calling you today to carry his name wherever you go. Wherever you go. It's not about living for the next joy or the next pleasure or the next good thing or, or traveling around or whatever. That will all come secondary if the Lord permits but your main purpose, and my main purpose, is to carry his name. I, I just feel to carry his name primarily to your family. My, my brother hated me. My sisters hated me because I never cared for them. I never helped them. As a young guy growing in a small house, uh, uh, I, was, I was the last one to be requesting, if they needed help, not Sydney. Sydney never helped. And Sydney never helped. Sydney never cared for anyone but himself. But outside, I needed to be looking nice, so I would help a little bit here and there, but not at home. And uh, I felt God speak to me deeply that if I can't love the people in my own house, it's useless loving anybody anywhere else. And I had to learn to love. And uh, my, I love shoes. I loved my shoes. Uh, my, uh, my, we had some relatives staying in Australia, and uh, they would come and bring us, bring us, both us boys, uh, shoes, very, very similar shoes, exactly the same, same size. We were both the same size. And, uh, I, oh, I would love those shoes. I used them very sparingly and very carefully. But not my brother. My brother loved it, and he would use it. And a couple of weeks' time, it's torn, tattered, and, you know, gone. And then he's kind of sneaking and robbing my shoes and saying that they are his shoes. And we would have all this kind of arguments there. And I remember God saying, Sydney, ask Edgar to share your shoes. I said, no way! No way! And I, was, I struggled. I really struggled. Because I didn't want to share my shoes. I didn't want to share anything with anybody. And whatever I had was mine, and it's mine. That's mine. That's it. And I felt God saying, share those shoes. And I, I, I tell you, it's a, uh, it was a struggle over a couple of months because I just said, no, 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 and I was troubled, and I could just sense God saying, I want you to share, my sh share the shoes. 
And then uh, very, very, you know, uh, hoping that he won't take the shoes. Let go, if you want shoes, take it. And he says, what? Yeah, yeah, can I have it? So <laughs> I hoped he wouldn't hear it, but the guy heard it. <laughs> and he took it. I said, okay, okay, you're taking it, then be careful with it. Don't, don't kick anything and don't spoil it and all that. Bring it back carefully. Yeah, 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 he was. He tore it and brought it back. And I said, God, look at that. God says, just share. But you can't love him. You can't love anyone else. And I was, I struggled. I really struggled. And I believe God would say to us, some of us sitting here, that perhaps you have a brother or a sister who you're not speaking to, who, you, who really you're distanced from, or your parent, your mom, your dad. They've hurt you, harmed you. My brother hated me because I deserved to be hated. I really deserved. I earned his hatred, really. <laughs> and I don't know what happened, but I think God says, no, I've got to be one who loves him, forgives him, and be reconciled to him. And if you're here, and you have a brother and sister whom you've not spoken to, whom you're not reconciled to, God would seek you and ask you today, you're called to carry my name even to your own brothers first, your own parents first. Be loving to them. Be sharing with them. Be giving to them. And let your shoes be torn as well in the bargain. But God would say, would you do that? He's calling us. He's calling us to carry his name. You can't carry his name without having encountered him first. Saul encountered Jesus. And then he got this call. And then... The third thing, only three things, and then I'm finished. The third thing we see, the Lord calls Saul to suffer. Let's read again, 9 verse 16. Have a read of chapter 9 and verse 16. First, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, he needs to understand, Saul needed to understand, that if you're going to carry my name, it means, Saul, you're going to suffer. And Saul says, yeah, yeah, he didn't perhaps, I, think, I don't think he heard that properly enough. Because then, uh, continue on verse 22. Look at verse 22, 9 verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Wow, what a preacher this is, isn't it? He confounded, as he's presenting this truth, he's confounding all the guys. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Hey, 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 hold on. This guy's confounding them, baffling them with this wonderful preaching. And shouldn't he be given a prize or reward? Shouldn't we be given an honor in him, a couple of thousand pounds or whatever? But what are they doing? They're plotting to kill him. And they plot to, their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, verse 24 says. And then his disciples took him away by night and let him down and opening the wall, luring him in a basket. Now how do you like that? I'm preaching, I'm serving, I'm singing, I'm doing the stuff. And in the process of being, instead of being saying, well done, you've done really a good job, you're really doing good, there's a plot to kill you. There's a plot to cut you aside. The plot to avoid you. And you get to know about it. How do you feel? And that's not all. Look at this. Verse 26. And when he comes to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And what? They were afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now here's this guy. 
He's preached so wonderfully. He's encountered God so powerfully. And then he comes to his other disciples. And they're all, oh, this guy, God knows what's up with this fella. He's talking great. He's speaking great. But goodness knows whether he's, you know, he's a, he's a spy of someone else, or the Roman spy or what, whatever. And he kind of, he's not accepted by the believers. And he struggles. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Here is Paul suffering and struggling. He preached powerfully and suddenly encounters oppression, challenge that he had never seen before. And now as we serve, as you begin to serve, you will suffer. You and me will suffer. And we must expect it. We're not to be shocked with it. We're not to be troubled with it. Somebody says, okay, I'm, I'm taking you on in the company. Uh, you've got to work from 9 to 5. And uh, the, job in, the job involves you doing this, that, and the other. And you say, oh, God, I've got to sit and work the whole day. Boss, I've got to work the whole day. 9 to 5, I've got to work. Yeah, that's what I'm paying you for. You're, you're, you're taking the job because that's what you're supposed to be doing. Now, we often think we want to serve Jesus without paying any cost. And if we're going to serve Jesus, it means some suffering. It means some sacrifice. And we're not to be shocked or troubled about it. And sometimes even the believers might not understand you, but you ought to keep on suffering and serving. God would call us today to be ones who have encountered Jesus, to be ones who are taking and hearing this call that you are called to take the name of Jesus wherever you go. You are called. You have been called. You have been entrusted with the name of Jesus to be taking that to the ends of the earth. That's your purpose for living. But as you do it, don't think it's going to be you're going to relax and, you know, swim down easily. No, you're going to suffer for it. And God's going to help you. God's going to help me. He's going to help each one of us. We need him. We need him. And he's our model. Jesus Christ suffered on a cross as a model, as one who leads us. And we follow with him. Amen.